Hi, Camille. What's up? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good. I'm enjoying a H-E-B unsweetened sparkling water grapefruit. The best. Yeah, they're so good. Um, what are we going to get into today? Uh, today, we're going to play it a little fast and loose and talk about um, a big event that is hurtling towards us in our lives, the Archives of the Impossible Conference, which we've... Um, you know, we've registered for at Rice University in Houston. Uh, it's on May 11th. Yeah, we're going to be attending all three days and um, absorbing ridiculous and unprecedented amounts of esoteric knowledge. Uh, absolutely. We're very excited. Um, there's all manner of speakers dealing in ufology, the paranormal, yeah. You you name it life after death psychedelics mysticism um sit sit, magical sigils extraterrestrial bodies and their implications in the nation of islam buddhism yeah the list goes on skinwalker Mm -hmm. ranch yeah lots of i'm i'm yeah i'm stoked for for all of that yeah it's a big weekend for us um we wanted to talk a little bit about um the archives themselves we think they're really um important and interesting and they reside here in our great state yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of what we learn afterwards we wanted to contextualize it a little bit yeah um yeah so the archives of the impossible kind of the structure that the conference is based around they started god probably like how long they're they're, they're at least several years in the making Um, yeah okay okay uh so the archives i guess have been active for the last six years just sort of recording trends uh things that are happening in the in the paranormal currents yeah research that's developing things from the past that have needed a place to go yeah Um, stuff like that and they were started by Jeffrey Kripal, who, if you're unfamiliar with him, he is the associate dean of the faculty in graduate studies of Rice's School of the Humanities. Um, he's also a professor of philosophy and religious studies, um, and he's authored many, many books um, about erotic mysticism, yeah. the supernatural. Um, he wrote one book called The Supernatural that he co-authored with Whitley Strieber, who we talked about. Um, in our first episode. Yeah, he's kind of a controversial character in academia, I think, because of his focus on eroticism and mysticism, um, which I think is what makes his work really interesting. He does, like, comparative religion um, and uses a lot of the theology and the historical context um, for, I guess, religious experiences that people have in comparison to UFO experiences and experiences with UAPs and various visitors. Yeah, he sort of um, likes to leave room for the idea that things that are supernatural or paranormal are just an extension of the reality that we know. That we know. Um, in his book, The Supernatural, he writes, um, kind of describing what he does, that he's a historian of religions, um, comparing fantastic states of mind and energy and their symbolic expressions in human history, literature, religion, and art. These fantastic expressions often appear to issue from point to or even try to conjure some other realm or dimension. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of what he's about. Um, yeah. Um, and in 2010, he 
published a what he calls an intellectual history of the paranormal called Authors of the Impossible. And I think that kind of seeded the idea to make an archive. Yeah. Um, And that started with kind of in collaboration with Jacques Vallée, Mm -hmm. um, who uh, I think he had like interviewed for that book. And um, Jacques was telling him how he kind of wanted a place and to kind of preserve some of his research. Right. you know, famous, um, famous figure in the uh, study of paranormal. Um, do you have anything to say about Jacques Willet? I haven't read too much from him, um, but he came up a lot when I was looking into like the cryptid stuff because he does stuff on like parallel dimensions, the yeah. passport to Magonia, which yeah. definitely I will read soon. Um, it's expensive. <laughs> um, the archives also famously have the Anne and Whitley Strieber letters, which mm. those were the letters that they were sent after communion. Whitley said that they got like a quarter of a million or some absurd yeah, number yeah. like that. Many, many. And he said that Anne was really the one, his wife, Anne Strieber was really the one to go through all of them. Um, and that she read every single one. Yeah. She actually authored a book with all of them with like a selection of the mm-hmm. most well composed descriptions of contact and i think that's accessible in some places but the archive has i think at least 800 of the letters um uh, on site it also has um something called the stargate documents um that ed may who was involved in governmental remote viewing Mm -hmm. um experiments he, he donated those um and there's a lot of other like ufology based research by various figures that are yeah. currently there. Um, I wish we were getting some remote viewing uh, talks at, at the event, but I don't think I don't think anyone's going there. I know. Maybe like when we get there, we'll see that there's like a room, <laughs> like a blank room, where if you pat, if you're able, if you have the psychic ability, you'll, yeah. you'll be able to kind of watch a talk that's happening on the other <laughs> side of the wall. <laughs> um, but it's obviously exclusive. Um, but yeah, so so from, from these archives, which have been going for a while, um, Kripal decided to start, make it into a conference where he would bring in speakers um, who are kind of operating in the, the academic realm who deal in, who, who kind of, explore paranormal or um strange or theological even like yeah uh, phenomena yeah i think a lot of why he wants to do that now especially is because he has a recent book called the superhumanities which is largely about how to i guess bring these topics into like an academic discipline um and how to bring them into the academic system and treat them with like respect and reverence as you would a normal um, theology class or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so this this conference that we're going to, it's the second iteration. I think the first one was yeah. last year. I think it was partially remote, maybe. Probably. Um, but yeah, I th- we found out about it because... I guess somebody who was listening to our show reached out mm-hmm. and uh, told us about it. 
and Faith immediately <laughs> registered yeah, us was, without even telling me. That was after the first episode. <laughs> um, someone, I believe his name was Matt, responded um, and sent me the information for this night. Yeah, I did immediately register and tell Camille um, that we were going. And I was obviously excited. I had, would not have objected at all. Yeah. Um, I'm really... There are some talks specifically that I'm really excited about. I think that there's going to be... I'm always interested in what the tone of these sorts of things are because I feel yeah. like I feel nervous because everyone there is so smart and seems very like perceptive and tuned into um, the things that are going on on like the ether, the like metaphysical level between all of us. Yeah, they they have like inner radios that the vibrations are going to be crazy. Time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we might need to like bring some like dramamine or something just in case we get nauseous from all the yeah vibrations i'm worried about my energy <laughs> i need to get that straightened out yeah i i think before you know it'll be good for us to do some academic research but we also need to train physically yeah to to make sure that we're suited fortify for the environment. our spirits yeah mm -hmm. do some meditation do you want to talk about the impossible? Yeah, we should. I mean, we may as well to kind of define it. Yeah. Um, My dear friend Abby um, said that we should talk a little bit about this, what the impossible means to us. Um, and I think that that's, that's a, good, a good point because it's sort of an amorphous thing that, you know, has no real definition. But I think that I'm interested in it as something that's like a a truth or you know a spiritual truth kind of beyond what most people would consider possible in their their daily routine um sort of like the sort of things that happen to you that you feel nervous to tell other people whether it's like something you feel is a religious experience you feel the presence of an angel or you have like a synchronous chain of events that brings you to another person or a place that becomes important to you or you see like what you think might be an extraterrestrial visitor, all of those things are kind of in the same realm. And there are a lot of different contexts for the feeling of something that is impossible in a large, you know, spectrum for intensity. Um, and some of these things are just kind of strange and make you maybe question what it is that's going on. And some of them change, you know, the witness's life. Yeah. Um, which is that those are a lot of the stories that we deal with and that we've read so far. Yeah. I think, I think the impossible really are just to put it simply things that occur that are you know unexplainable by like common knowledge or scientific knowledge things that shouldn't happen but do happen that you do experience and feel true um and i'm wondering faith have you i mean what are some things in your life that you've experienced that feel like fall into this category um I've had, I've definitely had like prophetic dreams um, and synchronous events that have felt like, um, looking back, they've been like definitive of some point in my life. Um, I've, I also definitely believe in receiving signs and signals and stuff a lot of times in the form of birds. Um, I've had some, some bird experiences that have changed my life. I've had some owl, significant owl experiences yeah. have been visited mm -hmm. by owls on numerous occasions and they felt like 
they were trying to tell me something. Well, that's good. And the supernatural, Jeffy Kreifel talks about how owls are oftentimes um, visitors from perhaps the other world. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And like, you know, you see that represented in like Mexican folklore with like La Lechuza. Mm -hmm. Um, They're thought to be, you know, messengers from the spirit realm. And they're, you know, and in these circles of of the supernatural, they're also often, um, they often appear when somebody's having a screen memory. Mm -hmm. Um, Like in the case of Whitley Strieber, when he was first trying to unpack his, his visitor experience. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I do. I've never had anything. You know, maybe maybe my owl visitation. Maybe those were screen memories. One of them. You'll understand when the plan comes together. <laughs> there is an almost basing connection. Yeah. Uh, I three nights in a row. Uh, I was visited by owls um, mm. at around the same time in different spots, and one of them was while I was driving through the almost basin, and it flew across my windshield, and I almost had to like pull over and get on a rack it was very it was very scary i actually hit and killed a bird the other day (laughs) a big one not to no it was very small but it felt like a very bad um sign to me because obviously i take these things very seriously and well first you know it's the life of a a creature of god and i don't Mm want to take it away but it flew i mean it was the bird's choice effectively it flew right in front of my car while i was going at um a high velocity and but it was with another bird and that's what makes me feel so bad about it is that the other bird has survivor's guilt yeah and has to live with it the rest of its days yeah i didn't like that yeah that doesn't that doesn't seem <laughs> like it bodes well for you i'm sorry yeah it's easy for me um you know when i see a bird during like an important time of my life and it feels like it means something i'm like wow the world is so filled with beautiful symbolic gestures and then when i accidentally kill a bird i'm like none probably nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there there are there's no such thing as the world is very black and white actually (laughs) yeah facts and logic reign uh we shouldn't question (laughs) uh, images and symbols that happen into our lives um yeah but most of the time we feel the opposite and that's why this conference is so yeah appealing oh also i had well, I, yeah, I, I should, I had an experience while we were filming the Whitley Strieber episode that made me feel actually so insane because I saw several unexplained things in the sky, which I told Camille about. Um, but I saw like, they looked like crafts and <laughs> it feels, it feels like crazy to say this because as I saw them, I was like, well, I'm. I'm seeing these things as I'm like doing a lot of UFO research. So maybe my brain is making up images. But then after the first one, I saw another one and it was just like strange glimmers of light that happened in a pattern that was totally unfamiliar to anything that I had seen in the sky before. And it was during broad daylight too. So it's not like it was obscured by the dark. And then after I saw two, I saw a third thing in the sky, but it was a, like a daytime huge comet, um, which I verified by looking at the meteorological records nearby. Um, and then after that, I started, which I think we talked about, I started seeing black helicopters everywhere. And it like actually, yeah, it made me yeah. feel so insane. 
Um, I mean, maybe it, people like Jeffrey Kripal and Whitley Strieber wouldn't, you know, say that you weren't, your mind wasn't projecting these images. I think those, those particular scholars of the um, UFO realm, you know, consider that it might be a phenomena that is an extension of the mind and maybe the mind is not um, relegated to the brain. Yeah. Um, and that is that is part of that line of thinking. But they're they're willing to consider all of the options. Um, yeah, me too. When it comes to, to scene craft. Right after that, I went to a bar and I sat at the bar with my whiskey sour and I like just like scribbled down images and I thought <laughs> <laughs> it was like 3 p.m. or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I was just yeah like scribbling down like patterns of light and uh I felt I was the only one there was, the busty bar wench was like side-eyeing you oh honey <laughs> you got a lot of crazy ideas <laughs> um we can we can segue this into talking about someone I'm very excited to see at oh, the conference yeah. his name is Colm A. Kelleher um, he wrote Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, which is about, you know, the government's UFO program. And he was part of slash, I think oversaw the advanced aerospace weapons system applications program, which overlapped a lot with the advanced aerospace threat identification program. Yeah. He was also a contractor for the, def- the DIA, the defense intelligence agency. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at some of the, uh, documents from that that program to see what it was exactly that they were doing, and there was a long one about invisibility cloaks and messing with invisibility technology, which is very interesting. Um, they a lot of just like I don't know, looking into general UFO search, trying to uh, I don't know, like fit Department of Defense stuff into. <laughs> <laughs> into people's um sightings uh yeah which yeah the program was contracted out to robert bigelow um and robert bigelow is a strange figure. he is he, well he doesn't own skinwalker ranch anymore apparently as of like 2016 but he used to own it and he also started bigelow aerospace um mm-hmm. which is a shadowy aeronautical technology uh yeah group and when he became involved when the program was contracted out to him he owned skinwalker ranch at that time yeah um so this talk that is we're gonna see is about um that program and it's also about which this is something that uh robert bigelow was really interested in was just like the survival of human consciousness past death I read that at one point he offered like a $1 million award to someone who could prove life after death to him, <laughs> um, which I don't think anyone no. was able to. He's still uh, sitting to. on like cash yeah. um, that he probably made from the budget suites of America franchise, which he also owns. <laughs> <randomly>. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, but that talk should be, should be really interesting. Um, I... Mm. Yeah, Colm Kelleher has a strange like C- like CV too. He also like was like a medical researcher for like Jewish people. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't like, know in I, what capacity. I don't... I, let me... <laughs> let's, hold on. I'm going to maybe take that out. Actually, <laughs> no, he was, but I, there was like a more know, professional specific term. name. Um, oh, yeah. He, so, yeah, he was an immunology research scientist at the National Jewish, Jewish Center in Denver. And then he led the National Institute for Discovery Science team on Skinwalker Ranch um, and other related projects and then worked in a laboratory uh, at a biotechnology company. Yeah. And then did some DOD stuff. Scary. So, yeah, he's kind of... I don't know. I don't... I'm going to be teetering on the edge of evil. <laughs> it It does feel like a a fine line um kind of navigating a lot of these topics yeah i don't know what i should be or who to trust <laughs> <laughs> but you can't deny that it is fascinating should yeah. we talk about skinwalker ranch a little bit there is a family who owned it who claimed all sorts of like anomalous sightings there um and it was named after like skinwalkers and like the native american legend but primarily what people would see really ufos animals with shining red eyes there's some sasquatch yeah. stuff too um and now i think I, I from my understanding of it now it's like kind of bolted you know you, it's hard to to get on the property um that makes sense I, yeah i forget the name of the guy who owns it now i think it, oh brandon brandon fugel hmm do you know much about him? No, nothing. Cool. <laughs> but I but I know that he is the current owner. Hmm. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of interesting talks happening at this conference. Yeah, there's one about the peculiarities of modern sigil magic. Magic with a K. Yeah, by a Western esotericism guy, European named burned christian auto mm -hmm. uh you know talking about <laughs> how sigil magic could bend what we know as being possible um which scares me a yeah little i bit, don't frankly it's uh sometimes things that are impossible should stay impossible <laughs> sometimes yeah with all of this too yeah i don't I don't necessarily want to think that everything is possible. Well, I think I'm I'm interested in the way that things happen naturally in the way that Jeffrey Kripal talks about where they go against maybe what people think is the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. But I'm not interested in anything personally where I have to be the one to manipulate those things you know i'm not i'm not in the place <laughs> to my open life. My, <laughs> to open my mind to such yeah to such force yeah i i don't really want to arrive at any grand conclusions or experience anything that mm -hmm. would rock the foundations of my it's strange you necessarily yeah it's such a fine line like the line between manifesting or or things like that that seem kind of innocuous and then the line between like manipulating others energetically um yeah yeah 
I mean, do you think you you don't want to be like practicing sigil magic on? Others? No, no, of course not. I don't want to be practicing anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, no. Um. Yeah, there's another talk by a man named Charles Stang. He's the director of world religions at Harvard Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's doing a talk on psychedelics in the ancient world and, you know, conceptualizing the idea of the ancients as a noun and in the context that they're living in. Um, seems seems like it could be interesting. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, another panel that we're excited about. Oh, yeah, a film panel. We just watched um, a documentary by Brad Abrahams, who listens to Texas Overture. <laughs> or at least he follows our Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> about film and the impossible. We watched his documentary, Love and Saucers, which is really fun. It's really awesome. good. Um, you should all definitely watch it. It's about David Huggins. A man who, as a 17-year-old farm boy, lost his virginity to an alien woman named Crescent. yeah. I, my favorite part of the documentary was he's holding up a huge painting that shows him having sex with an alien, a, an alien woman with a little black bob and crystal blue eyes. And he says, virginity lost. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's an epic transition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's really sweet. Uh, David is very endearing um, mm-hmm. and seems very earnest about the experiences he had, which mimic a lot of other uh accounts of contact which is that you know the beings are with you all your life and they visit you yeah um throughout your years um and kind of mirror to like some of whitley's experiences with having yeah. uh, sex with an alien mm-hmm. girl yeah jeffy Kripal talks about that a lot there's a part in the supernatural uh, chapter called super sexualities which is all about the eroticism found in a lot of um, visitor experiences, which Jeffrey Kripal focuses on a lot in his writing because I think a lot of people are uh, scared to talk about that sort of thing. And that's part of the reason that Whitley Strieber received so much... um, Flack. Yeah. It does make everything seem less... I mean... (sighs) Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, when I was reading um communion and report on communion and it got to the part when it was revealed that there there was an erotic component i did have to put the book down and take a few laps it's it yeah it's shocking i mean it makes the story so charged that you're like how can how i don't know there's so many different boundaries that these visitors are crossing um yeah dimensional consensual <laughs> it's also yeah when reading stuff like that it's it's easy to dismiss guys as being horny you know like you don't it makes you less less sympathetic with them i think a little bit because you have the the feeling that maybe uh you know they're just some pervert but i but then i think it's important to listen to these accounts yeah because clearly they 
there are a lot of genius up. perverts out there oh i would never <laughs> i would never question that. <laughs> um yeah uh our crumb yeah exactly yeah uh but yeah we found the we found the documentary to be really fascinating and really well done and um yeah he he kind of talks about huggins talks about being visited by different types of beings there's the you know sexy alien babe with crystal blue eyes but then you know while they're often having sex in his apartment the insectoid manted alien is also there um there's there's grays there's little little blue guys am i missing any of them um no i don't think so i think yeah they were kind of relatively standard depictions of aliens the little mantis guy i found interesting yeah um he was oftentimes depicted in like the corner while they were making love <laughs> um he referred to the alien as his girlfriend so crescent yeah mm-hmm. crescent yeah they, no, the relationship was really personal mm-hmm. um and he wasn't yeah he was an artist he painted you yeah. know once he got permission from these beings he began painting his experiences exclusively um never diverging only once diverging from painting the visions and when he did they told they were upset so he destroyed it yeah um and so he kind of lived you know these two parallel lives one with with the aliens and he fathered he fathered many um, yeah half-breed babies Mm -hmm. um, apparently and then one where he had a, a wife and a son and in our world mm-hmm. um which ultimately you know when the when the two worlds intersected too much i think that led to a divorce with yeah. him and his wife um but yeah i think it, it's interesting and important to consider accounts like this i um, agree because they help they touch on that that i you know the idea of the impossible and mm-hmm. how it maybe grasps at human loneliness mm-hmm. and that's something we can all <laughs> that's something we can all relate to yeah um there's some other things that we're gonna do while in houston too we're definitely going to even though i'm done with del Shao and i never want to think about after we <sighs> good god after we <laughs> recorded the del Shao episode and just like lost our minds a little bit um i don't want to think about him no but i do want to go to his grave um the misspelled yeah pay my respects uh yeah i want to i want to you know trace the boot tracks of researchers like warren fontaine yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh you know pete navarro and those other guys yeah it's possible that we'll have a clarifying moment at delshaw's grave find Um, some sort of artifact yeah we'll bring the metal detector oh yeah, yeah we really need, oh yeah 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 we need to bring the metal detector on to our the trip. beach especially yeah oh, there's a lot so of, exciting we're gonna uncover a lot of tre- treasure yeah um, we're going to to the beach afterwards um just for a little R&R. rest and <laughs> relaxation <laughs> um but we're gonna go to bay city i'm going to uh i don't know find something faith is gonna buy a wetsuit and plunge into the murky depths of the gulf of mexico and start recovering 
forest best painting best art yeah i'm gonna do that yeah (laughs) (laughs) it feels right i think you should um i just want to i kind of just want to go to bay city and matagorda um and try to triangulate different locations where he might have been painting and stand there and let the spirits move around me as they may try to tap into whatever forest best was tapped into yeah and i think that will also require us eating a lot of prawns and chowder and other definitely you know bounties from the coast that's exciting yeah um when we're in houston we should also do like a um bartleme father architecture tour of the city their dad was a donald and frederick bartleme the the writers their dad was an architect and he i guess created a lot of houston buildings that i need to map out that would be great i want to sit on the benches that they used to sit on i wish that everything uh there should be a dense history of where everyone's gone (laughs) <laughs> I would like to yeah. increase surveillance for the purpose of me being able to go places that various postmodernist <laughs> writers have been tried. It should be um, a law that you have to you have to map out some of your favorite spots in your will, so yeah. your um, lunatic fans can yeah can walk in your shoes yeah if you're gonna when they're in your city (laughs) if you're gonna be a genius artist you have to create a a cartography of your life (laughs) yeah exactly um what else are we gonna do in houston (sighs) probably go to the manil yeah um look at some art i don't know uncover new mysteries that have never been attempted before we'd like to talk to some of the speakers yeah you know who knows what we might discover i have a very i don't know i have a very strange attitude going into this because i feel very nervous but i also feel like like a high school senior running for class president (laughs) or something i feel like i'm a debutante and this is my coming out party yeah um i there's a like a mixer <laughs> there's a kickback <laughs> there's a, on, on one of the days i think on the first night and i for some reason i we've both been thinking about our outfits <laughs> a lot it's been you know heavy on our minds yeah and i and oh. i still don't know we're one week out and i still don't know i don't have anything to wear we need to go gown shopping yeah gowns I, I i haven't decided what vibe i'm going for i kind of am like i think like a scully from the x-files like with like blown out hair and like a red lip and like a like a skirt suit might be appropriate something powdery blue or <laughs> if i saw <laughs> i want a briefcase with a buckle on it full of manila folders filled with nothing (laughs) no information yeah i don't know i'm gonna shake some hands against you know my best interest probably i'm gonna try to talk to people i'm gonna let my personality shine (laughs) you had you had something to say about my outfit idea well i was gonna say 
if I went to a UFO convention and I saw a girl that looked like she was trying to dress like Dana Scully, I'd be like, damn, this girl's trying to dress like Dana Scully. <laughs> Ugh, maybe I should go to the, um, maybe like 70s weather girl. Yeah. Or, or maybe I should like shroud myself in fabric. That's, that's what I'm going for, shrouding myself. Yeah. Do you have, do you have an outfit already? No. I just generally like to wear lots of black fabric that moves in a way that feels organic and um, spiritual. (laughs) It feels respectful to wear wear all black. Um, Yeah. You know, historically, Mm -hmm. uh, in funerary settings. um, Because we're we're in a way going to be mourning our own conceptions of the possible reality uh, <laughs> as we cross cross the rubicon into the the archives yeah maybe i'll wear a long veil yeah i think we should wear veils and long gloves we could do like a linda moulton howe beauty queen oh yeah pageant look i don't i'm thinking way too much about the, <laughs> I, I i'm gonna wear jeans and like a billup billabong shirt i mean that's the golden ticket yeah um yeah well we'll, i'll figure it out i've never learned how to be casual before (laughs) it's not something that necessarily comes naturally no you would think it would (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but we have we we do have to you know present professionally this is our as a project this is all, this is our coming out and we did make business cards <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. i'm i i don't know i'm gonna have to do like a sleight of hand uh <laughs> magic trick when i shake people's hands and like slip the business <laughs> card into their back pocket or something up up their pinstriped sleeve yeah so when they're undressing for the night they're like wow how did this to the sketch here. I sh- maybe I should talk to those girls <laughs> wearing veils. <laughs> the rat that accosted me in the ballroom earlier. Uh, I would be so disappointed if I saw two veiled women like <laughs> moving swiftly across the floor, and I realized that they just had a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are these nymphs? I, I see. <laughs> no, they're just two. <laughs> underemployed (laughs) (laughs) local women oh man all right well yeah anything else um yeah anything else (laughs) faith um excited about nah wait actually let me read the subtitle for the conference this year transnationalism transdisciplinarity transcendence A lot of this, I think, has to do with the idea of what our lives will be like once we make contact. That's, like, something that I think has arisen um, in the UFO discourse uh, more prominently recently. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess just because of the amount of information we're fed. Um, Yeah, the, the, you know, leaked release documents ufo sightings i think i think there's a camp 
within the community that feels like we're about to like learn something that we can never unlearn yeah, in regard yeah. to extraterrestrials. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this conference um, and a lot of the people who will be speaking in it are really interested in the idea that we have to prepare ourselves for an impending reality that decenters us as, you know, the storytellers and uh, definers architects of, of yeah the, the world universe. that we live in yeah i don't do you think that you're ready no no of course <laughs> i mean at, at this point i sure i would i don't have much else going on i would i would ready myself yeah if it if it came down to that um I feel ready. You feel ready? Yeah. So, so quick with that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Big world. Your, your mind seems really open. Um, I think I, I think I'm too rigid in my routines and <laughs> tedious habits that I want the comfort and safety of, um, normality. And if, mm. but maybe, uh, I just need a woman like Crescent to fall into my life and yeah i'll change my tune yeah no earlier we were talking about how we need to fortify our minds and i think i did that over the past 45 minutes <laughs> and now i feel actually incredibly prepared for anything that uh my life the lives that live beyond this reality are, are willing to throw at me hats off faith uh <laughs> i i need to like take an emergency like get some more than five hours of sleep or <laughs> start doing yoga or something i but i but i hope to arrive at that place by the time that we walk into the conference double doors and descend down the staircase in our in our gowns <laughs> ready to take on ready to be vessels for all of this knowledge that we're yeah <laughs> seeking um cool i'm really excited to go to the beach and let the ocean air um dry me up I'm excited to weave through various East Texas towns and perhaps, you know, discover new, new mysteries. Yeah. Um, it's a yeah big coast out there. And I'm, and uh, I'm, we're just two two girls <laughs> ready to take it on. Um, oh man. Yeah, if you guys have any other suggestions for things we should do in Houston or th around the coast, let us know. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to be good. I, I'm excited to try to synthesize all of this. Um, yeah, I yeah. hope we get to meet Kripal himself and pick his brain. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be cool. All right, well, that's enough. That's enough, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll report back. Um, Stay tuned. Wish us luck. For some boots <laughs> on the ground reporting yeah. from the conference. All right. Um, this has been sort of an episode of Texas Overture. Yes. Talk soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>